take a close look at your US $20 bill. You will find on the bill a portrait of President Andrew Jackson, who was the seventh president of the United States of America. Not the most handsome creature on a $20 bill. I suppose that's going to change soon to the way I read things, but Andrew Jackson gained fame as a general in the army that uh, conquered and removed the Greek, the Creek Indians from the states of Georgia and Alabama. You might remember the song in 1814, took a little trip down with Colonel Jackson to the Gulf of Mississippi. Remember that one? Well, that was him. He fought against the British in the Battle of New Orleans. Eventually, his military leadership gained control of the state of Florida, what is now Florida. So he was a national hero. And by the year 1829, he was president. He campaigned, get this, he campaigned on one issue. Indian removal. That was his thing. He was a smart guy. He reasoned that if America's frontiers would ever, ever have a chance of being civilized, the Indians had to go. They were always going to be there to harass the pioneers and the settlers. They had to go. But they couldn't be exterminated because of public opinion. That was just wrong. But the public could tolerate transplanting Indians to some remote corner of the country where they wouldn't be in the way. And so that was the policy. It is unthinkable now. Can you imagine the, an administration proposing such a thing today? It would just be unthinkable, but it does happen in other lands. It's unthinkable to us, but it boiled down to this statement. This is kind of the policy just in one sentence. Any Indian who remained on his ancestral lands affirming his identity, Indian identity would be considered a criminal and treated as such. Pretty crazy when you read your U.S. history. It didn't matter that the Cherokee tribe, for instance, had uh, vast plantations in the southeast, that many of them spoke English, that they funded their own schools, had their own newspaper, and never broke one treaty ever with the American government because they were who they were. They were removed so the settlers could move in. It didn't matter that the Supreme Court at that time of the U.S. ruled that Indian tribes were sovereign nations within their own states. Didn't matter. They changed the law. In 1830, a bill passed and became law and you know how it went from there. Boy, you read that stuff and hear that stuff and it's hard to think that that actually happened, but you know it happened because they're not around much anymore. In our enlightened age, one would think that we could, in our educational system, we could get past discrimination and favoritism. But it seems like every generation has to relearn the same lesson that James wants us to learn today in his book. 
For instance, in Eastern Europe, Roma children cannot attend public school because they're that. Chinese look down on Japanese. Arab hates Jew. Pakistan hates India. And India has a caste system where almost a hundred million people are ranked as untouchables. Those on the lowest rung who are not even permitted to go to a village and draw water from a well for fear that they might contaminate things for others. And we have first-hand knowledge of what happens to a person in Aliland, a Somali who becomes a Christian and what they're up against. We have a nice term for it. We call it ethnic cleansing. It sounds polite, clean almost, acceptable. It's a nice way of saying you can legally mistreat anyone who's different than you. It seems when you listen to the media that racial equality and justice is a new thing, that, that we just discovered it and we must implement it. But I am here to tell you that justice and racial equality have their foundation in the Bible and come from the very heart of God and was demonstrated by the life of Christ. So we're in James chapter 2 today and it indicates that favoritism and discrimination had crept into the early church. Here's how it goes, James chapter 2, verse 1. If you're following along, this is the New International Version I'm reading from. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you in the court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Skipping to verse 12 now. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Some of you might remember that a few years ago, a young man uh, was trying to make the Buffalo Bills football team. He was a follower of Jesus, and we got a call that he was looking for a church home temporarily while he tried out for the team during the months of July and August. 
And one day he came to church. He, he actually attended for a, a few weeks. And I've often thought about this piece of scripture when I think about the treatment that that fellow received compared to others who come in and sometimes are neglected. We, we got the word and we spread the word that, man, this guy, he has a chance to make the bills and everybody kind of wanted to be around him and meet him and hear his story. And then he, I, and a couple weeks later, his wife came and we got to meet her too. And I'm thinking, man, that was a, that was a special thing for our church family to, to meet this guy. Darn, he didn't make the team. But I, I always think about that when I come to James 2, like how we treated him versus how we just treat someone who's not him. And of course, by now, you've learned that James doesn't care about your toes. He stomps on your toes. He stomps on everybody's toes. He doesn't care. The world behaves one way, but the followers of Jesus behave a completely different way. He learned that because he saw his brother Jesus and how he treated people during his time. It must have been shocking for James when Jesus approached demon-possessed people and when he encountered lepers and he actually talked with tax collectors and he actually helped soldiers who were in the occupying forces of Rome. He ate dinner with well-known cheaters and he went out of his way to help the dreaded Samaritans. Who does that? No wonder they considered him out of his mind. It just can't work like that. You can't do that with people. It's just You don't understand. That's what he thought. What we learn from a survey of the life of Christ is something you already know. Everybody counts. I know what they are. I know where they came from. I created them. They count. Long ago, some of us here learned a phrase that has stuck with us over the years. It's one of those things you can't shake. It's called recognize the preciousness of others. And when you do that, it changes how you behave. Oh man, they're, they're important. They're precious. They count. And Jesus shocked his students when he connected with the untouchables of his day. The, the preciousness of others was seen in how he treated the Samaritans, the untouchables. For instance, in John 4, he had this conversation with the Samaritan woman. In Luke 10, he told a story about the good Samaritan, and they're going, what are you, there's no good Samaritans. What are you even talking about? And then in Luke 17, there was the thankful Samaritan. Who do you welcome based on their background and their appearance? Who do you avoid based on their background and appearance? We all have this in us, don't we? We don't like it in us, but it's in us. So it looks like to me, James stole the game, let's play suppose from Jim Walker. I think that's where he got the idea. Or maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. Maybe I got it mixed up. But he plays, let's say, let's play suppose with us. He says, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. And another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. It's kind of funny. 
just sit back and watch and see how that plays out, isn't it? Just, how would that go? How would that go here? We know that with Jesus, outward appearances would not matter one bit. But in all humility and shame, it matters to us, doesn't it? Yes, everybody counts. That's true, everybody counts. But the celebrity and the CEO seem to count a little bit more than the, well, you fill in the blank. <laughs> there was a jury trial taking place in England. They came to the closing arguments. The prosecuting attorney continued talking for two straight hours before he realized that one of the jurors was absent. He, he said, what? What's going on? There's only 11 people in the jury box. Where's the 12th person? And the foreman stood up and said, well, he was called away by an urgent message just after lunch. But it's all right. He left his verdict with me. It's like, wait, wait, you can't. You can't give your verdict until you know, right? You, you got to hear the story. A person is guilty until proven innocent. That's how it works with those of us who prejudge. So verse 2 through 4 gives this very simple, let's play suppose scenario. The wealthy guy gets the, the best seat. The poor guy gets the floor. They catered to the wealthy because they thought probably we can get some kind of benefit from this person. And they avoid the poor guy because they think he probably wants something from us. That's awkward. Have you been there? There's a neighborhood in Buffalo with a McDonald's on one side of the street and an Ace Hardware on the other side. There's other shops around. It's a busy place, lots of foot traffic, and that brings out people seeking donations. There's a broken woman who lives in that neighborhood. She's well known to all the merchants. She is relentless. She can't speak very clearly, but everyone knows she wants some money. She's dressed in old clothes. Her hair is uncombed. She walks as if she was injured many years ago. I've seen her over the years. She is the poor woman in James' story. And people know that if they give her help, she'll come back for more. They don't let her in the shops very often unless it's really cold. It, it's just a very uncomfortable situation. What do you do? I was talking to my son Josh about this one time because I frequent that Ace Hardware store more often than I want to to repair a certain building that I own downtown, a, a little duplex. Some, so Josh gave me this idea. He said, Dad, uh, here's what you do. You take some prepackaged snacks or get a gift card. And you give the gift card. Don't give cash, just give the gift card. And so you have it with you, and when you know you're gone there, you just expect her to find you. 
And rather than turning away in awkward shame, creator, say hello, and you hand her a little something, something, and she's grateful and satisfied, and at least you did something. It's tough. We learn in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is not rude. Yeah. If the U.S. president comes to worship with us today, it would be proper for us to reserve a seat for him and his entourage. It's, it's right when a man gives up his seat for a woman. It's proper for a young person to give up his seat to an older person. That's just respect and good manners. But James goes beyond that. He's talking about how we treat people based on their appearance and their qualifications. And probably, if you're like me, I've got some improving to do, too. Are there, are there people that you'd simply just rather avoid? They might make you feel uncomfortable. They might want something from you. We're, we're just attracted to funny, friendly, clean people that don't ask anything from us. But James brings it down to what happens in the church of the living God. He takes it beyond just what happens Monday through Saturday. He's talking about what happens Sunday morning in the family of believers. And now in verse 5 through 11, he explains his game of suppose. This is ungodly behavior. This is not fitting a follower of Christ. It's shocking what the scriptures say. God intentionally chose the lowly to receive the good news. Aren't you glad? <laughs> he chose us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 through 29 says it like this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. Biggest but in the Bible time. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Boy, oh boy. God's ways are not our ways, are they? If you were going to start a movement, start a kingdom, start a, a church, you would start with fill in the blank. So we must continually work to know God and to know God's ways. If God chooses to the embrace the untouchables, how can I reject them? How goes it in the Church of Christ at Clarence? It's very dangerous to judge by human standards. The, the criteria that we use is often education, influence, noble birth. But those ideas are rejected by the Lord. James asks, has not 
God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom. He promised those who love him. Man, this is, this is backwards almost, isn't it? And verse 6 gives us this contrast. James points out, isn't it the rich who are exploiting you? using their education and their influence and their connections to neglect justice for their own benefit. Corruption is not a new thing. Even in the days of James, court officials and influence was for sale. I was in a court one time standing in line with some others in the city of Buffalo disputing a ticket The guy in line in front of me said, you know what our problem is? I got a bunch of them, man, but tell me, what is my problem today? He said, we don't have the right last name. Oh. You mean if I had the right last name, this ticket for a garbage towed outside my property would be forgotten and taken away? He said, yeah. He says, you just need to move your stuff down a couple couple streets over to where the councilman lives. And you, I go, nah, it wouldn't work, work like that. He said, it would work like that. He was convinced he had the wrong last name. But it's the, the warning is to us, right? Oh, you're his daughter. Oh, you're his son. Oh, you're in that family. And James says, don't be swayed by education or influence or connections because with Jesus everybody counts and that's how you're to treat them. And James is just relentless as well. He gives us this new term. You know it is the golden rule from Jesus. James calls it the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. The royal law. That seems to fit. The royal law is royal because it rules over all other laws. It's royal because it comes from the king and it's the law of his kingdom. This is how we behave in the kingdom of God. This is how it goes. Love your neighbor as yourself. Warren Wearsby said it like this. He said, if each citizen loved as we were taught to love, there would be no need for a thousand minute complex laws. Just do the right thing. So when we consider the preciousness of others, we step into this whole new level of conduct. Yeah, I've got time for you. Yeah, I can help. Yeah, I can slow down. The royal law means treating everybody the way the Lord's treated me. So what would happen to us if we generously applied the royal law to everybody always. Verse 12 and 13, James makes application of this principle in case you are not motivated so far. Try this. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Judgment day is coming. That motivates me. I don't know. Does that motivate you? Judgment day is coming and God is watching. And one criteria by which he judges is how we show mercy to other people. Oh, 
oh, well then, that changes everything. He says, if you judge without mercy, no mercy will be shown to you. Oh, <laughs> well then, I better change my behavior. Gary Vandervert said it like this, if we understand how unlovable and unattractive we are and how much we need God's mercy, we'll offer his mercy to others. I have five concepts to share with you as we close today. You need to live like you're going to face judgment. Here's item number one. God has a very special place in his heart for the needy and whatever need they have. This is what it says in Proverbs 22. Uh, do, don't exploit the poor. Do not crush the needy, for the Lord will take up their cause and will plunder those who have plundered them. Uh, he sees the treatment. He hears the comments. He sees the neglect. He's taking note. Item two. This is always a motivator. You might be dealing with an angel and not realize it. Hebrews 13, 2. They're among us and we're not aware. Well, that changes everything. I wonder if there might be an angel in the room this morning. Watch yourself. Item three, the royal law. You are expected to operate by a completely different standard. Way different than the world does. This is a quote from Bob Goff who wrote the book Everybody Always. It's, I recommend it highly. He says, love everybody always. Start with the people that creep us out. The truth is, we probably creep them out as, mu as much as they, I'm sorry, we probably creep them out as much as they do us. Jesus spent his last meal with a man who knew he would betray him. Everybody always, find that book and read it. Item four, people are God's creation they are of unspeakable value and worth the very blood of Christ. Treat them like that. And then item five. Recognize the potential that people have for the kingdom of God. I, I'm just thinking about the disciples that were chosen by Jesus. Nobody would have picked Matthew as one of the twelve. No, no way in the world. But Jesus saw his worth and his potential and made him into a servant of the Lord. So the standard is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's those who follow the royal law. One day soon, people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation will gather in worship of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Everybody's going to be there the, from every representatives from every group and appearances will mean nothing and we live in preparation for that day so the review is don't show favoritism 
follow the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. Judgment day is coming. I want mercy. I have a little illustration as we close. You'd have to get really close to see this thing. It's a, it's a rocking chair made out of a Sprite can. It's kind of a treasure to me, although it's not worth a plug nickel now. Many years ago on a cold night, I was on my way home. I was up on Main Street in the darkness and I saw a strange sight. It was snowing lightly, wind was blowing. A man was pushing a very full grocery cart. Only it wasn't full of groceries, it was full of bags and clothes. And I turned around and went back. I knew that was the right thing, although it was cold and windy and I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to go home. I went back. I knew I was going to be there involved for a while. I pulled up beside him and said, sir, you all right? Where are you going on this cold night? You would probably call him a drifter. Uh, he had no plans, no place to stay, and no money. Other than that, life was good for him. And you know, you know right away what you should do, right? You know what you should do. Will you follow the royal law or not? It was before cell phones. Deb was expecting me. He needed a place to stay. I couldn't take him home. I didn't think I could do that. Long story short, I put him up in a hotel for a few days up on Main Street. Checked on him the next morning, took him some food. We talked a little bit. Then it came time for him to drift on down the road someplace else. And I, he asked me if I would stop and see him before, before he left. So we made an appointment. I said, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow morning, help you check out. Where are you going to go? Well, he said, I'll take care of that. Don't worry. And he said, I got something for you. And he handed me this little rocking chair made out of a Sprite can. I wrote down what he told me. He said, not many people want to help a guy like me. I give a gift to those who do. I'd like you to have this as my thanks and to remember me. I don't know. I never saw him again. I truly don't know where he went. But man, I tried to help that guy, but that guy helped me. It's like, whoa. And I've kept that thing in my possession for probably 25 years. And uh, I never really won very many trophies in my life. No MVP awards for me. But that thing reminds me the royal law. Dude, just follow the royal law and see where it takes us. Now, I want to invite uh, Lauren and uh, Joy back up here. And I'd just like to sing a song together with you and pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in your, your heart right now. That 
maybe you need to take another step in this uh, this subject that James just stomps all over us about. The royal law. Follow it. 